0: Welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, where we talk about engaging topics about investing, personal finance, and business. This show is hosted by Rodrigo Valverde. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, the best podcast to start off your investing journey towards financial independence. where we are bullish in value. And where you'd learn what they didn't teach you about investing. It's your host here, Rodrigo, and today we're going to talk about initial public offerings, IPOs, as it was a pretty hot topic that got a lot of headlines on Wall Street the past year, and we probably might have even more headlines this year. We are also going to learn about how companies file for IPOs so that they can trade on a stock exchange, the benefits, downsides to this potential investment opportunities in the future with companies that filed IPOs recently and perhaps maybe other future IPOs to look out for as well. Any privately held company can go public through an IPO. Often companies that IPO are startups in the tech industry or another high growth field funded by venture capitalists but they can also be mature companies such as... um, Albertsons it's a food and drug dealer if you don't know or Levi Strauss the company that makes the famous jeans Uh, they're all held by private equity firms that are looking to cash out when a company is ready to go public generally after it has a track record of growth and other favorable results it hires an investment bank or several banks to come in and underwrite the IPO the bank will then put up a sum of money to fund the IPO and agree to buy the shares being offered before they're actually listed on a uh, public exchange and the IPO company will file a registration statement which includes its prospectus which provides detailed information on areas like its finances the results, business model, growth opportunities, all that stuff the underwriter must also perform due diligence on the IPO to verify its financial information and analyze its business model and prospects, and uh, basically they do kind of a little little bit of auditing, and they make sure that uh, the company complies with the regulator's demands, and and then the underwriters charge a commission for their services, and then once all of the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, or any stock market regulator from wherever you may be from, they probably have a set of guidelines for companies also to to go public. So Once all these concerns have been addressed, the company often goes on an IPO roadshow to sell the stock to institutional investors, so the company goes on a funding round to find investors basically. So When the initial block of shares has been sold or subscribed, the company and its underwriters set an initial price and the date for the stock to begin trading. On the first day of trading, the stock will become available to the general public as the underwriter sells shares on the stock market. And then stocks, they often fluctuate wildly on opening day as it's difficult to assess the demand for a newly public stock. And it's not uh, something that's uncommon for a stock to double or increase way above its expected value during opening day. So, what are the benefits of going public? The primary benefit of going public is easier access to capital, obviously. The money a company raises can be used for so many things, such as expansion, research and development marketing, or whatever else that a company needs to grow or reach profitability. In addition to raising money, the IPO also rewards stakeholders in the company, such as employees, investors, founders, and others who own company stock but don't uh, do much with it until the stock starts trading publicly. Once the stock is publicly traded, they can easily sell their holdings if they wish. Generally, after something called a lock-up period of around six months, that prevents insiders from dumping their stock immediately after the IPO. Basically, insiders, if you don't know, they're people who work inside the company, or they're board members, or part of the leadership team, will have privileged information that of the company that investors don't have about the company. Usually, also... Uh, I want to point out that as an investor, you want to look out for companies that have a high return on equity. Meaning that companies are very profitable and efficient with the use of shareholder money. This is basically calculated as the net income divided by the equity, net equity. Equity is calculated by subtracting assets minus liabilities. And that tells you how efficient this company is with your own funds as an investor. The higher, the better, obviously. Furthermore, the chances of the stock appreciating, and hence the value of the company, can increase significantly than if the company was privately funded. There's a lot more information on publicly traded companies, and hence greater transparency when looking at the financials or the quarterly earnings calls that these companies are obliged to report. They're obliged because the, the regulators say so so you have to give this information to your investors and to the, to, to the media even though uh, there are websites though for investing in funding rounds for private companies and, and startups such as republic.co in fact in previous episodes called um, this mini series that I made a couple of episodes ago a couple of months ago called um, Called future businesses that are going to change the game. Um, I got, uh, I talked about a business that I found on this website on republic.co, and it, it's true. I, I've seen this, and it's a pretty interesting website. It's got a lot of uh, information about startups and companies that are doing great things or trying to do something pretty paradigm shifting, very interesting. But I mean, um, I recommend that you guys check it out. But as investors, if you're starting to invest, um, I wouldn't. Think, I wouldn't say that it would probably be the best thing to put your money in. Or maybe at least put a very small part of your net net worth. Maybe 2% or something like that. You know, Just to play around and see if you get lucky. And if you really, really really like an idea. And it's backed by um, well-renowned investors. Like for example Tim Draper. That invests in a lot of Silicon Valley startups. But nonetheless, be careful with this kind of stuff. Because there's not much information about it. Invest in companies that, you know, have a good track record, that are established companies, that have a market cap of usually approximately $5 billion or above. Pretty much. And are IPOs good investments, you may ask? Uh, It actually depends, but it's not always the case. From my own personal experience, what I've seen from observing is that when usually when a company files for an IPO, they always end up trading far above the value that was expected and is almost always overvalued. So it's not usually the best time to buy uh, the company at the price, at the closing of the opening day price. Though investing in IPOs can be profitable, it's generally a much riskier prospect than investing in established blue chip stocks with a history of solid performance as I said earlier. However, IPO stocks can reap huge returns when they are successful. Some of today's top stocks were IPOs just a few years ago. Look at Facebook for example. They debuted for a $38 share in 2012 and now they're around $250 and Tesla priced its IPO IPO at a split adjusted so it would be worth now as 3.4 dollars and the stock right now is roughly 820 830 more or less between that range right now post stock split stock split so that's a return of over 240 times the original investment looking at a more recent history we've got zoom video communications that priced its initial offering at 36 last year and the stock search passed 450 dollars after its earnings report But right now it's sitting at about $384 per share, so it's gone down uh, quite a bit to this date. As a matter of fact, IPO stocks have historically underperformed the market, according to the Motley Fool. That's because the stock market, especially the large cup benchmark S&P 500 index, is generally made up of successful and profitable companies, as failing companies don't stay in this index. IPO stocks, on the other hand, tend to be high-risk plays, and many of them do not live up to their potential as a result. Now, looking back at the IPOs in 2020, software has been the most hyped IPOs. Cloud storage company Snowflake raised $3.4 billion in the largest ever software IPO, while gaming software developer Unity completed an IPO above its target price for a total of 1.3 billion dollars and big data firm Palantir opted for a direct listing for a valuation of 22 billion dollars Direct listing by the way is basically a low-cost way of filing an IPO Where no new shares are created and only existing outstanding shares are sold with no underwriters involved So they don't have to pay a fee to these underwriters for filing the IPO then DoorDash completed an above-range IPO and ended up raising 3.37 billion dollars and Airbnb raised 3.5 billion dollars before shares opened more than 100% 100% above the IPO price it's a big a recor- rec- big recovery for an IPO market that in 2019 saw major IPOs from companies like Uber and Lyft really show underwhelming results uh, for in terms of returns on investment. Ant Group, however, was expected to become the biggest, the largest IPO in history with a listing valuation of approximately $34.5 billion, which would have eclipsed the biggest IPO to date, which was Saudi Aramco, having raised $25.9 billion in uh, 2019. Unfortunately, due to Chinese regu- regulatory matters, and Group's IPO got cancelled in the last minute. However, adjusted for inflation, we take a look at, in terms of inflation adjusted uh, terms, the Japanese mobile phone carrier NTT Mobile raised $28.7 billion worth of today's currency back in 1998 when it was worth $18.1 billion in 1998 currency data from visualcapitalist.com who got their data from Renaissance Capital uh, This all of this of course it comes from Renaissance Capital so out of the 25 largest IPOs they conducted a study uh, run by Renaissance Capital uh, of the 25 biggest IPOs 6 were from the financial sector 5 from communication services 4 from technology 2 from consumer staples 2 from materials another two from Energy, one from Consumer Discretionary, and the last one from Industrials. So the most valuable IPOs from this top 25 list in IPO history came from finance, tech, and communication services. And we're going to see in the future how this is going to change. It's going to be interesting to see the evolution of, for example, electronic vehicles, uh, renewable energy, um, genomics... Health, it's going to be pretty revolutionary, we'll see how software continues to develop, we'll see about that, we'll see how the coming IPOs are going to, going to, maybe they may may have a place in this list. Maybe also space, space exploration, that's a huge thing. Space exploration and space mining, imagine all that, the future, that the, the amount of hype that I think can, can really pump them in the markets. Um, also got to be careful with those kind of stocks to see if they're actually financially viable. But nonetheless, um, space ex- exploration is right next door. Sooner or later we're probably going to be out in the stars again. Uh, but this time probably on a more frequent, we're going to have a much more frequent presence out there. Because we might need resources from outer space, which can really help our survival on Earth. And maybe we may prolong that a bit more. But who knows? (laughs) Interestingly, the biggest companies in the world right now are not among the list of the largest IPO valuations in stock market history. Amazon went public in ninety seven and raised $54 million, which today is worth $170 million, with a stock price initially set between 12 to 14 a share and ended up being 18 a share. Apple went public in 1980, settled for 22 a share, and raising just shy just shy of 100 million dollars which is about 314 million dollars of 2020 money and then Microsoft went public in 86 settled the share price at 21 dollars and raised also 54 million which is 170 million in today's value then Google went public in 2004 settled the price at 85 dollars a share and raised over 1.9 billion dollars which today is worth 2.6 billion but the biggest Among the top tech companies was Facebook, Uh, they went public in 2012 having raised 16 billion dollars, inflation adjusted now in 2020 dollars as 18.1 billion dollars. And it's been the case for companies such as Alibaba, Saudi Aramco, Visa, among the top 25 IPOs that they managed to capitalize way above the original offering, probably from overhype of retail investors. But nonetheless, these are, for example, Alibaba and Visa. I would understand why investors would want to really bet on those companies because uh, they do have long-term advantages and uh, a lot of space for growth, of course. Shares of companies that went public via IPOs or direct listings this year, well, last year, on average, have surged 75% with corporations that have yet to report a profit jumping more than twice as much as those with positive bottom lines. According to a Reuters Reuters analysis. It's surprising how in a year that's that saw stocks stocks plunge when the COVID nineteen pandemic rapidly spread in the spring and communities across the world went into lockdown, then we went on a rally and finished the year with fresh highs. It's unbelievable never have we seen this before. In addition, companies seeking to list shares have been embraced on expectations that they will benefit from low interest rates and the eventual economic recovery and a rollout of vaccines. Interestingly, about 70% of the companies listing their shares this year are not run profitably according to Refinitive data and company filings. Underwriters reserve most of the new shares and red hot IPOs for top institutional investors mostly cutting out small investors who can buy shares only once they start trading. So a, a non-professional investor who bought into all of the 2020 public listings at the closing price of each stock first day of trade would be out on average of 28% for the year. That's less and less than half of that, um, less than half the return of an investor who bought in at each IPO price. That's better than the SP 500's 15% gain in 2020, but far short than the 40% gain that buying an NASDAQ index fund at the start of the year would have provided. The large gap between average returns based on IPO prices and returns based on closing prices of the first day of trading highlights and demonstrates. The advantages enjoyed by institutional investors on Wall Street. And in 2020, according to Citadel Securities, retail investors accounted for a quarter, 25% of all stock market activity. Airbnb, 2020's most hotly anticipated stock market debutant, is up 121% from the APO price in its December 10th listing but based on Airbnb's closing price on its first day in the market, the stock is up just 4%. The medium IPR return, which reduces the influence of the most extreme winners and losers uh, up to the end of 2020, was 51%, shrinking to a more modest 13% based on closing prices after the first trading days. Chinese online retailer Wurong Net Technology, Wurong Net Technology was this year's strongest performing U.S. IPO stock, up almost 700% since its listing on December the 15th, according to Refinitiv data. Investors buying Moonong Net at the close of its first trading day would be up about 230%. All data has been provided from Noel Randwich from Reuters, and this was all reported on December the 30th, 2020. For 2021, we're expecting IPOs from Roblox, Epic Games, Wish, the online shopping app, which is interesting because of all the hype in general that all e-commerce companies are having and the amount of growth that e-commerce is going to have in the future. But it hasn't had enough already. Even in the past, it was already starting to show signs of serious growth and it's captivating tons of attention from 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 investors because of the amount of problems that they're managing to solve, increasing customer value and making the whole buying process much easier with the one-click purchasing and discounts and cheap prices and all that stuff. Um, But as always, make sure that you do due diligence before investing in any company. Then there's also payment processing firm Stripe that competes with Square and PayPal and already has around third, hundred thousand merchants working with them, and they provide all kinds of data services to small businesses. And then we also have dating app, which is called Bumble, that has around hundred million users already, and is also very well established in the networking and friendship making space. Then there's also a firm, which is a financial services company that allows customers to develop their own payment plans for goods and services. This is actually a very interesting company that captured my attention and in fact I talked a bit about them in the episode about fintech so make sure you go give that a listen too. They already have 5.6 million users already and they also have merchant relationships with Peloton and Walmart. With a firm you can also get um, credits and stuff like that and you can get loans at um, probably lower interest rates than you would get in a commercial bank. They've gone public already, so if you're interested, go check them out. Check out their financials. I think it's quite interesting. Fundamentals are not right really good, right? Really good right now, but I think that the company can can be exceptional in the future. Let's see. Then there's also UiPath, and they design robotic process automation RPA technologies. They use AI to automate tedious, time-consuming and repetitive business processes. This sounds really exciting and a paradigm shift, but let's make sure that we do due diligence always and we really learn and understand how this business works and the business model and if it can really last in the future. And if uh, this is another debate, um, let's see if machines and AI is actually going to be able to substitute manual labor and general kinds of of actual human human capital. Whether machinery is actually going to be. Going to substitute human capital. It's a huge issue that we're dealing with. Right now in, in the medium and long term as well. Then there's also Playtica. It's an interesting one. They're a mobile games developer. That already went public. And they're focused on betting. If you're interested you can track all the info. There's a lot more info on IPOs. On iposcoop.com. Every month you'll see new IPOs, there's always IPOs coming, uh, being listed. So if you're really into business and you want to check out all the different kinds of companies that get listed and how their business model works, some are pretty interesting. And that's about it from my side. Thanks everyone for sticking around. Now let's smoothly transition into the outro. And that's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you found this episode interesting. Make sure to subscribe or follow and share this podcast if you haven't already, as I'm building a community with expanding reach so that I can make people aware about investing, personal finance, and financial independence. Listen to this episode again to retain knowledge better because you learn with repetition. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. You can find me as the Audio Investing Podcast. And on LinkedIn, you can find me as Rodrigo Valverde Nuño. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to have you back next time. Have a wonderful day. See you. Bye.